Good morning, everyone. My name is Nathan Mayer. I am a volunteer groups coordinator here at Resurrection Church, and it is my joy to bring the word to you guys today. Um, I, I was raised in a secular family, and so we didn't go to church. I thought people who went to church were weird, and it wasn't until I was 20 years old that I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And it was actually this church that was the first church I attended after becoming a believer. And so I just wanted to take a moment standing up here to thank all of the people who were a part of my walk, my discipleship, uh, especially in those early years, men who came alongside me, men who uh, were good examples for me to follow. Thank you for helping me grow from being a really young, stupid Christian to a somewhat less young, somewhat less stupid Christian who God is calling to, to serve and shepherd and minister. Uh, thank you from the, from the bottom of my heart. Sincerely, thank you. Um, we're going to be reading from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. So if you can open your Bibles with me. I'd actually like to take just a, a minute and go over some of the things that we've talked about in previous weeks. So I'm going to read that whole section from verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So it's just this long run-on sentence by Paul of all of the spiritual blessings that you and I possess as fellow heirs with Christ. It's uh, just a really encouraging passage. It reminds us that we were chosen before the foundation of the world, predestined for adoption as sons and daughters, that uh, we've been overwhelmingly forgiven. We've been covered by the blood of Christ and have received so much grace that it actually talks about that grace being lavished upon us. As much as uh, as much as a royal person might receive lavish care from their uh, servants, we, we've received lavish grace where there's almost just too much, too much grace, more than we could ever deserve or desire or imagine. Grace upon grace has been given to us. And uh, these verses that we're studying today serve as kind of a theological climax for that uh, whole passage where for just a few moments, we zoom out from the personal spiritual blessings that you and I receive as heirs with Christ, and we kind of zoom out and see God's plans for the whole creation, for this cosmic reconciliation where God is going to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So I actually requested the privilege of preaching on these verses because they kind of hold a, a dear place in my heart. I'll tell you why. 
So when I was a new believer, around 20 years old, I got an internship at the NASA Langley Research Center in Hampton, Virginia. And uh, so that's a long way from home, right? So I flew out there. Uh, I did kind of have a car, but it was the kind of car that you don't drive across the country unless you want to stop somewhere in Arizona and not, not go any further than that. Um, <laughs> so uh, I had an internship and flew out there, and I was staying in an apartment complex on a highway. And so uh, I knew I wanted to go to church, but the nearest church was about a 45-minute walk from me. And so I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian now. I'm going to do the 45-minute the walk. And so... I gave this church a call and I visited. Um, and at that church, God tremendously blessed me because I met a family by the name of the Wilsons, by the name of the Wilsons. It was the first picture of a godly family I ever received where the parents were serious about following Jesus and raising their kids up in the truth of the gospel, where the kids wanted to figure out how to serve and follow him, even in their younger years. One of them wanted to go be a missionary. One of them wanted to um, just you know, raise a godly family, things like that, where they were serious about the call of God on their lives. And I got to kind of enjoy that portrait once they decided I wasn't crazy, they sort of welcomed me into their family. They adopted me for the summer. And uh, I'll always owe a debt of love and gratitude to that family for the love that they showed me. But this family had a tradition. They had a tradition where before their kids were allowed to get their driver's license, they had to memorize the book of Ephesians. Now, this, just, this wasn't just like a passage or a few verses from Ephesians. This was the whole book from beginning to end, all six chapters. Now, I don't know what that has to do with being a good driver, uh, but if you want to make your kids memorize a book of the Bible, holding the driver's license out as the, the reward for it is a pretty good motivator, right? And so I thought that was a cool idea. I hadn't memorized much or any scripture at this point, so I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try it. I already have my driver's license, but I'm going to go memorize the book of Ephesians. And as I was working on memorizing this first chapter, I would get to these verses that we're studying today and think, gosh, that sounds really important, and I have no idea what it means. And then a little later, I'd go back and read it again, because you have to read it over and over and over again to memorize it. And I'd go back and I'd read it, and I'd think, gosh, that sounds really important, and I still have no idea what it means. And so um, the reason why it was confusing to me is because in those verses, Paul is actually picking up an idea that threads its way through all of Scripture. And so my prayer today is that at the end of this time that we have together, we can say, this sounds really important, and I finally understand what it means. Because when we can say that, we won't just understand these verses. We'll be empowered to hope and persevere in a world that is not our home. We'll be encouraged as we wait for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to return and make all things new. So let's look at verse 9 together. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So I don't know about y'all, but when I hear the word mystery, my mind immediately goes to Scooby-Doo or Sherlock Holmes. And, you know, I, I think, okay, we got to find our talking dog and a bunch of hippies and pile into a van and go uh, tie, tie some bad guy up so that we can pull his mask off and figure out what the mystery is. But in the New Testament, the word mystery is almost never used to describe something that you have to figure out. It's almost always being used to describe something that has already been revealed in Jesus. 
So these were questions that the Old Testament saints had that they didn't know what the answer was. And it wasn't until Christ came that these answers were revealed to us. So when you see the word mystery in scripture, it's not some puzzle you have to figure out. You don't need to like draw some big chart with all these strings across it to, you know, determine what the answer is. You can just trust that the answer is found in Jesus Christ. So this mystery that Paul is referring to, he actually tells us what it is in chapter three and says that this mystery is that the Gentiles, people like you and me, are fellow heirs with Christ, fellow heirs and inheritors of the promise of Abraham. So even though we were far from God, even though we didn't have the law, even though we didn't have the temple, God still chose us and welcomed us into his family. Even though uh, there was no reason, no uh, responsibility that he had to do that, his grace reached out to people like us who were very far from him and invited us in. Um, Now, often, often we look for our answers places other than in Jesus, right? Um, We have needs, desires, wants, hopes, dreams, questions. And instead of coming to Jesus, trusting that he has the satisfaction for those things, instead we look for those answers in other places. But 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. That is why through him, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And so we look for answers everywhere but Christ, uh, but all of our answers ultimately are found in Jesus, are found in Jesus. We want a hope in a future. Who doesn't? But we want it on our terms. We look for purpose and calling, and we use that as an excuse to put our faith on the back burner so that we can focus on our career, on our family. And... Uh, All of these things are, it's silliness, really. It's silliness because all of our promises, all of our hopes, all of our dreams, they find their yes. They find their satisfaction and fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so it's in him that all of our questions get answered. So I just want to show you a few examples here. Um, What do you want out of life? What do you want out of life? Do you want family and friends? God is our father. We're brothers and sisters. And so um, you have family wherever you go. I've met strangers on vacations who, after 10 minutes, find out that they're Christians. And it's like a family reunion. We just hang out. I've gone and got dinner with complete strangers just because we have a shared faith in Jesus Christ. And it's awesome. It's so much fun to get to have everywhere I go be a place I know I can find family as long as the church is there. Do you want prosperity and wealth? Uh, I can't promise you that on this side of eternity, but I can say that Jesus promises us treasure in heaven. And that's treasure that isn't going to corrode. It's not going to fade away. You could buy the nicest Cadillac on the, on the lot today, and in 20 years, it's going to be a hunk of junk, right? But Matthew 6.20 says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves don't break in and steal, because when we store up our treasures there, they'll last forever. And so the inheritance that we have, the, the riches that we have in heaven waiting for us, we make all of these toys and, and trifles that we buy here on earth kind of just silly. You know, it's like, uh, I, as a kid, I bought a lot of Pokemon cards. I don't know if y'all have heard of Pokemon cards, but there's not an adult, I'm sure every generation has something like this, but there's not an adult 
who reaches you know, uh, an age of maturity, who looks back on the probably hundreds of dollars I spent on Pokemon cards as a kid and thinks, gosh, I'm so glad I invested in those, in those uh, toys and trinkets, right? Um, it's going to be much the same way with all of the, all of the stuff, all the money we, we waste here on earth when we could be storing up an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading for ourselves in heaven. Do you want to make a difference? Have an important job or position? I know I do. What more important job could there be than to be a fellow heir with Christ and a steward of his creation? Romans 8, 16 through 18 says, the spirit himself bears witness that with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so the, the hope of honor, the hope of uh, glory that we have in heaven is so much better. You could be a CEO of um, Elon Musk. I'll take Elon Musk. Everybody's serving Elon Musk at this point. Uh, wealthy, powerful, building cool things. And I tell you, the least and lowest person in the kingdom of God is a thousand times more fortunate than that man is, right? Because the inheritance that you have coming for you, the, the kingdom that you'll inherit is so much more glorious than all the kingdoms of this world. Even being um, a prince among men isn't, isn't half of what Jesus offers us. And then finally, if you're feeling a little weary after the last couple of years, maybe you just want a break. Maybe you just want a break. Jesus Christ is our Sabbath rest. He's our rest. He gives us an opportunity to restore peace with God, to be free from fear and guilt and shame, so that instead of watching TV or football, instead of taking a big vacation, I just came back from Hawaii, so nothing wrong with vacations. <laughs> vacations are awesome. But um, instead of finding these sort of temporary reprieves, instead we can find a rest that we can carry with us, a rest that never leaves us, a peace that won't forsake us. Um, it's in Jesus that we find rest from all of our works, all of our effort to try to be right before God and just rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So all of our answers, all of our hopes, all of our dreams, they find their satisfaction in Jesus, but we look for these answers in other places. And guys, it's silly. It's silly, uh, but I do it and you do it. And so my hope is that we'll, we'll look for these answers. We'll look for these riches in Christ and stop trying to find them in other places. Jeremiah talks about these idols like broken cisterns. It's like a cup with a hole in it. And you put the cup into the water to go and take a drink. And by the time you've put it to your mouth, the cup is empty. These things never satisfy us. They never really give us what we need. But Jesus is a well that never runs dry. And he gives us not just normal water, but living water that will refresh our souls. So continuing on, we have uh, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So this fullness of time is um, referring to the coming of Jesus Christ. Paul talks about this in Galatians 4, 4 through 5. 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So the fullness of time is the coming of Christ into the world, the turning point of history, where humanity was walking away from God, uh, walking further and further into rebellion, into, into the pursuit of power and empire of wealth and pleasure. And at the right time, Christ came to redirect us, to show us a new and better way, to make a new creation out of us by the power of his cross and by the power of his resurrection. And so the fullness of time is kind of like pregnancy, right? My wife has had a baby, so I think I'm allowed to talk about this at this point. Um, you know it's time to have a baby when your belly's getting big, right? Uh, maybe it's getting a little harder to walk. And about nine months have passed. There's signs that you can look to to know that it's time for that baby to come. I know my wife, certainly, and many other mothers kind of wish it was more like seven months or six months, because by the time you get to eight or nine, you're just done. But those are the signs we look to to know it's time for the baby to come. In the same way, the fullness of time is God preparing just the right time, having fulfilled all of his plans to prepare the way for Jesus to arrive. Um, Some of the signs, some of the means that God used to prepare this time, uh, the law had fulfilled its purpose. It had shown us just how wicked we are. Like, we like to think we're mostly good, pretty good, right? But the Israelites, they had the blessings and curses of God laid out before them. They had all of the laws written out for them so they could know exactly what God expected. They had uh, signs and miracles and wonders being performed regularly before them so that they could see the glory of God before their face. And did they obey? No. They still rebelled. They still turned away. They still followed their own wicked way. And so in Israel, we basically get Exhibit A against humanity. God basically showed us we're all like Israel. We're all wicked. We can't seek Jesus on our own. We can't seek the glory of God on our own. Left to our own devices, we turn away. We seek everything that this world has to offer and nothing that the king has to offer. And so the law was a teacher to prepare us uh, as a guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified in Jesus by faith. God had also called his shot through prophecy. I love talking about prophecy because it's just so exciting to see all of the ways that God called his shot before Jesus came. Um, Jesus fulfilled hundreds of prophecies, written hundreds or even sometimes thousands of years before he was born. From uh, Jesus being the serpent crusher who would descend from Eve, uh, being David's heir who was going to reign forever, being Isaiah's suffering servant, Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy point to Jesus as the fulfillment of the hope of Israel. And then finally, circumstance had prepared the way for Jesus as well. The Roman Empire was bad news. They were bad, bad guys. But God still used the Roman Empire to prepare the way for the gospel, to explode out from Israel to cover the whole known world. So there, there was a Roman road system Uh, These roads that the Romans built, they're actually so good that scientists are still trying to reverse engineer how they made these roads so that we can build better roads today. Um, Like there's still Roman roads all over Europe that stand today because of the quality of their road construction. 
And so having roads that actually connected all the places you wanted to travel to made ready for the gospel to go forth so that generations of missionaries and apostles could go out to reach the ends of the earth. There was a common language, Koine Greek, that's kind of like English today, where if you speak English, there's at least a pretty good chance that you're going to meet somebody in another country who can speak English as well. We're spoiled that way. Everyone else has to learn two languages. We just think it's hard enough to learn one language. And um, Koine Greek was much the same way. So the New Testament was written in Koine Greek so that the whole of the Roman Empire and beyond it really could hear the good news of the gospel. And then finally, there was this Roman peace, uh, the Pax Romana, that basically kept you from being murdered when you walked into your neighboring country and started preaching foreign divinities. Like, again, soldiers everywhere is a bad thing for the oppressed peoples, but it's also kind of nice when you want to go places and not have people stone you to death. So there's some good things. There's some good things about that. Um, So the way had been prepared for Jesus. It was the fullness of time. The baby was ready to come. And uh, Jesus, at just the right time, came to redeem all of humanity. Finally, uh, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This was the part that always confused me. This was the part that I didn't get. And this is where the magic happens. It's like in uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's been a while since Derek Barry preached. I don't know if you remember him, but he was, y'all haven't gotten a Marvel Cinematic Universe reference in too long, so I'll give you one uh, for, for his sake. Um, it's like the MCU where you watch these movies and each movie kind of uh, works as its own individual story, right? But then you start watching more and things start connecting. And then all of a sudden they're like getting the team together and you're like, whoa, there's actually a bigger storyline here that I've been missing the whole time. The Bible is exactly the same way. You can read about King David and it's a great standalone story, but all of these stories weave together into one larger story that God is telling. And Um, I believe that God tells that story largely through his presence, his fellowship with people, his fellowship with people. So we're going to get to the plan itself, this plan that's been revealed to us and set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. We're going to look at it as a plan, um, as a tale of six temples. In the scriptures, God has always met with man in the context of the temple, a place on earth tailored to be a dwelling place for God, a place where heaven and earth meet. To tell this tale, we have to start with the Garden of Eden, the place where God once walked with man in the cool of the day. So the Garden of Eden is just this perfect place, right? Uh, God walks there in the garden with us, and it's a place that he actually prepared for us to be in fellowship with him. It was a dwelling place that God was creating in the universe. Now, This was just striking me on Friday, but isn't it amazing that God didn't create the universe as this clock to just go and run independent of him? He didn't create it as a science experiment or as a, just a generous gift, like, oh, I'm going to make all these people so that they can be really, really happy. Instead, he made the universe as a place for himself to dwell, as a place for himself to dwell. He didn't make us just out of his kindness. He doesn't just love you, but he likes you. As weird as that is, because you know, I know sometimes you don't even like each other, but God doesn't just love humans. He likes us. He likes us. And he created the universe not as a place for him to sit above, 
but to dwell in, to be a part of. And so this Garden of Eden was that first place that he created to walk with man. And then hopefully if you've read your Old Testament, you've heard of the tabernacle, which is a really fancy word for the tent. Uh, Basically a very holy, very specially designed tent that actually has a lot of pictures, a lot of symbolism from golden pomegranates to special stones that all point back to that Garden of Eden. And this tabernacle was the place where God's presence dwelt with the Israelites. After Adam and Eve fell, man and God were separated. And so these tents, these special meeting places, served as a place where man could prepare himself to dwell in the presence of God. And then we had the temple, which was sort of like the official tabernacle. The tabernacle was like the the temporary thing, and the temple was the permanent building constructed in Jerusalem where God's name, his glory, his presence, his friendship were established. So his name was on the people of Israel, unlike any other nation. And in this temple, there were uh, sacrifices, there were rituals, there were uh, separations between God and man, so that to go into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies, uh, only one man, the high priest, could do it once a year, And to do it, there were all of these ritual purifications he had to follow in order to be prepared to enter into that most holy place, into the presence of God. Well, all of this turned on its head at the fullness of time. All of this changed at the coming of Jesus Christ because God, who dwells in heaven, who breathed out the stars, who spoke the universe into existence, Job, the book of Job talks about how he tells the lightning where it should go, and he stores up snow in the heavens for times of trouble and strife. He feeds the lions and the birds, and he's created and explored things that we could never imagine and understand. This God, this God became a man and dwelt among us. And the book of John, John chapter 1 says, Uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to say, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so the Word became flesh, God became a man, and Jesus uh, took on human form. God, who dwelt forever, became a man. And the amazing thing is, Jesus could have become an angel. Jesus could have become a a lion or a, a mountain or some like spirit being. But instead of being any of those things, God became one of us. God became a human being like you and me. And the even more amazing thing is right now he's reigning and ruling at the right hand of God. Is he still a man? Yeah. Today, Jesus Christ, God forever, is still a human being like you and me. Forever. God is going to be one of us forever. God has honored us by uh, choosing to make his home with us, to be a part of this human race. And so there's this really amazing, awesome glory to be found in just the fact that Jesus is one of us. And when he became flesh, he became the temple on earth. He was the place where God's name, his glory, his power, his presence dwelt. But when Jesus resurrected, Guess who the temple became? Who's the temple today? Us. The church is the body of Christ, and the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, 
but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, congratulations, you are the temple. You are the place where God's name dwells, the place where God's glory dwells. And so you've ever thought, like, I don't really need to go to church because I already have my Bible. I've got Matt Chandler on YouTube. I'm set, you know, I've, I've got what I need. Um, we're missing out. You're missing out on an opportunity to not just be one little piece of the temple over here, but to gather with all of these other holy stones and to be a temple together for Jesus Christ. And so when we get together, people can see God's glory in us. When we get together, people can see God's love, hopefully, in us. When we get together, we can represent God to the community around us. And wherever you and I go, there the presence of God goes with us because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So God's presence, his friendship, it only goes as far as the church goes. So if you want people in China to be a friend of God, to be reconciled to God. The only way that happens is by the church going there and bringing the gospel, bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to them. God's friendship, his presence and his glory go where we go. We are the temple of God today. And finally, and this is where, this is where the good news starts, because it's pretty good news that we get to be in fellowship with God, right? It's pretty good news that we get to be the temple of God. It's a little intimidating, too, if we're honest, uh, kind of scary. But the good news is that in the new creation, everything is going to be changed. Because today, is it pretty hard to follow Jesus? It's, it's hard. It's thorns and thistles. It's like, I used to think that uh, it was going to be easy to go reach the world. And it's more like reaching into a bucket of broken glass to try to drag people out of it. Like you're, you're, you're helping people, but your hands get cut and bruised and beaten along the way. It hurts to do the work of God on earth. It's painful. But in the new creation, in the new creation, everything is going to change. This is where heaven and earth become one. This is where our hope is fulfilled. So turn with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things had passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. 
But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So in this picture that John gives us, it's this beautiful portrait of uh, the hope of my heart. I hope it's the hope of your heart. Uh, A world that has been brought under the authority of God forever. A world that has been reconciled to God the, the city that comes down out of New Jerusalem, it goes on to talk about the measurements of the city. And they're kind of weird because it's a cube. All the sides are exactly the same dimensions. I don't know if you've ever seen a city that was as tall as it was wide, but that's probably not actually how the city's going to look. The reason they use those dimensions is because those are the same dimensions of the Holy of Holies, the most sacred place of the temple where only the high priest could enter. This new Jerusalem is going to be that holy of holies, that most sacred place where only the righteous can enter. But instead of it being the place that the high priest goes once a year, that's where you and I will dwell forever. And there won't be uh, just a bunch of people sitting there playing harps on fluffy clouds for all eternity, unless that's really what you're into. I'm sure there's, there's a job description for that. But, because um, somebody's got to do it, right? But... Uh, we'll have jobs, we'll have vocations, we'll have friendships. I, I, I would imagine that we'll still play games and have fun. We'll have uh, work to do and things to explore. We'll have music to create and art. Um, they're, all of the things that are beautiful and good about this world, they're still going to be there. They'll just be redeemed in Christ. So that instead of being for our own glory or for some uh, objective, instead of just trying to get rich quick or... Uh, get insta-famous, all of our goals will be to glorify God with the work of our hands. And so we'll have an entire world where man and man can dwell in peace, where man and God can dwell in peace, and where creation stops being this bucket of broken glass and starts actually being the clay that we can work with and mold and shape into something new for the glory of God. And so it's a beautiful hope. It's, it's everything that we want. It's everything we desire. And my hope is, my hope is that that gives us encouragement to keep pressing on because this world, like I said, it's hard. It's painful. It hurts. It hurts to do the work of God, but it's worth it, church. That's the whole message of the book of Revelation. Like y'all are trying to draw these prophecy charts to figure out when Jesus is going to return and whether the the locusts are actually Blackhawk helicopters and stuff like that. That's not the point. That's not the point. The point is it's worth it. God wins in the end and it's worth it. That's the message. That's the hope. And so... Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.9 says it a hundred times better than I ever could. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man even imagined, is what God has prepared for those who love him. It's beyond our wildest dreams, this hope that we have stored up for us in heaven. And so my challenge to you, church, um, God, he's uniting heaven and earth. All of our hopes are found in him. All of our dreams are fulfilled in heaven. What if we lived like this was true? What if we lived like this promise was actually already prepared for us? Like we didn't have to fight each other for honor. Like we didn't have to fight each other for providence. Like we didn't have to um, 
spend our lives chasing things that are just going to fade away and decay away, but instead could live for eternal things, live for the glory of God, for the good of our neighbor, for the honor of the church. If we do that, we'll actually be living like this is true. Our treasures won't last. Our titles won't matter. The hymn says it this way, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so my challenge to you is live like this is true. Live with the end in mind. Uh, work, start from revelation and work backwards. How do I want to live my life when I uh, am in that city, when everything is perfect, when all things are made new? I know that all have wanted to love my brothers and sisters better. I know that all have wanted to glorify the name of God better. And I know that I'd stop worrying so much about the, the hardships and the pain and the suffering, because like Peter says, the suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that has been prepared for us. So the only way that we can participate in this, uh, to close, the only way we can participate in this new creation, it's not by trying harder, it's not by doing the right things, it's by being joined to God through Jesus Christ. This is an awesome hope, right? I think everybody on, on the planet Earth wants that kind of picture that's in New Jerusalem, right? Uh, but we want it on our own terms. But Jesus, he says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And so I deeply desire to have you join me in that new city, in that new world, in that new creation. I want to play racquetball with you and uh, maybe write some software because I'm into that. Um, we, can, we can go to church together. But the only way that that happens is if we put our faith in Jesus Christ because it's Jesus who makes a way for me to be reconciled to God. He's the one who makes me a new creation because I can't see that new world. I can't participate in it unless I'm born again, unless I am a new creation, just like that world is a new creation. And so through his death and through his resurrection on the cross, Jesus made a way for you and I to join him in that glorious heaven, in that glorious eternity. If you haven't done that, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, if you're not walking with him and obeying him and trusting him, I'd love to talk to you about it. Our elders would love to talk to you about what it looks like to follow Jesus, to trust in him, to take your sins, place them on him, to take his righteousness and have it cover you and the glorious hope of everything that comes after that trust. Uh, so if you, if you have questions, if you want to talk, if you want somebody to pray for you, we'd love to have you come forward. The elders will be up here. Thank you for, um, thank you for joining us today. Let me pray for you. Father, you have prepared things that we can't imagine for us. You've prepared a hope for us that unites heaven and earth, that unites uh, people who are different and diverse. You've, you've prepared a place for us that is better than I could ever imagine. I recognize that I can't get there on my own, that the journey is too long and too hard. So I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for Jesus, that this man, this God, who took on flesh, also took on my sin. He who became, knew no sin, became sin for me, that I might become the righteousness of God. I pray that you would help us to trust in him, to walk with him, 
to submit our lives to him for the sake of your glory so that we can join Jesus in building that new world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.